Welcome to Exploring Mind and Body with Drew Tadia. Drew is an expert in nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and more. And he wants to help you live a healthier, longer, and more active life. Now here's your host, Drew Tadia. All right, thanks so much for being here on this edition of Exploring Mind and Body. Always appreciate your time and efforts to see what we have going on each week and throughout the week. Now today, it's my absolute pleasure to bring you Catherine Switzer, who is a marathon woman. She's an author, activist, athlete. She's most known for actually being attacked as she broke the gender barrier in 1967 for the Boston Marathon. That's right. She was the first women to com- first woman to complete that marathon. She has an incredible story. She's doing so many things. She also won the 1974 New York City Marathon, an Emmy Award-winning TV commentator, and so much more. So this interview is absolutely jam-packed with all kinds of quality information to inspire you, share some knowledge with you, and help you understand where the running industry started where it is today and where it's going so sit back and enjoy we got all that coming up on this is exploring mind and body naturally improve your lifestyle one show at a time with your host drew tadia All right, welcome to Exploring Mind and Body. Thanks so much for being here with us on this edition of the show. We have Catherine online with us. You heard all about her in the introduction. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Catherine. Great, Drew. It's great to be with you. It's our absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. It was so great to actually meet you in person. I, I heard about you. I, I've been doing a little bit of running myself. <laughs> I wouldn't call myself a runner, but I have some friends I've, that, that run uh, fanatically, and we've had some some runners on the show before, but it was so great to see you in person. Again, I want to thank you for being here. It was so cool to to see the lineup of people that are so excited to see you. What does that mean to you that people just can't wait to you know have a conversation with you? Well, that was really great, Drew, meeting you at the New York City Marathon, which, of course, is such a festival and, and crazy anyway. And, and yeah, I mean, you can imagine there I was. We hadn't even had time to, to do Facebook alerts or anything to let people know I was going to be there. They just sort of saw my sign and started lining up. So it was it was great. It's very it, it's yeah, sure. It's flattering. But I got to say, it's also very touching because these people have given body and soul to to be at the at the, any marathon. I mean, it, it's it's not running the race that's difficult. It's actually getting there and getting to the start line. And these people have a million stories, and they're all emotional, and they're and they're very emotional at the time, and they sort of fall into your arms, you know, weeping and telling you the uh, their life story. And so I come away from those things. Both extremely exhausted, but extremely energized. Does that make sense? You know that 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 they they share that with me. For a long time, I felt you know terribly responsible for for hearing all their stories. But then I felt really kind of grateful. So yeah, it's an amazing experience. And for you to to be able to, you know, what I thought was 
I don't know, extraordinary was that you talked to people. There's a big lineup and there people wanted to get in there and talk to you, but you actually spoke with them and talked with them. I think that meant so much. How are you able to, I don't know, remain a real type of person that cares about, still cares? I mean, I'm only saying that because you have those other types of public figures or people that have been in and around the media and been successful in their life and they, they don't really care. They don't seem to take that extra time like you did. If somebody's willing to wait in line for you, they deserve, you know, a lot of attention. And I do. I give, And people don't seem to mind to wait. You know, I apologize to people in line. I say, look, I'm sorry you've been standing there 45 minutes. And they say, I don't care because you, you're going to take time with me too. I'll tell you what, Drew. I mean, you know, I'm not there just to sell books and, and to fob people off. I'm, I, you know, they're they're becoming a part of my life and I, I apparently am a part of their life. I mean, I think everybody deserves time of day. As I say, their stories are incredible. It, it's, it's going to be really easy to write the next book. <laughs> all I have to do, I, all I have to do is just recall a few of those stories. And I, you know, everybody thinks my story is amazing, but Oh man, you know, every single person in that race, 50,000 people, everybody has an incredible story. Yeah, that was unreal. I know exactly what you mean when you say, that it was, you know, energizing and exhausting. And, you know, when I got got out of New York, I felt like I was drained a bit. And, you know, it was just that internal buzz that New York has. And then on top of it, this marathon that, you know, it's it's world-renowned. You actually won this in 1974. What was that like? Oh, gosh. I want to tell you, you know, people are amazed when I say that I won the New York City Marathon, but it was one of the worst days of my life. <laughs> because what happened is, is I was really ready to go under three hours. I had been working very, very hard. And I mean, I have to work very hard because I'm not a real natural, talented athlete. So I was working very, very hard to go under three hours, was totally ready. And the day of the race, it was a total freak day. It had been beautiful, cool autumn weather. And the New York City Marathon in those days was in uh, early September. So what happened is I woke up the, the next morning for the race and it was already, you guys do Celsius. So what is it? 90 degrees, uh, 95 degrees Fahrenheit. So what is that? About 34, 35 yep. and, and horrible humidity, foggy humidity. And I, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do a personal best under those conditions. And it was four laps of Central Park in those days. Very, very hilly, much harder than it is actually running in New York now. But that's the way it was in those days. And I decided I had to go for it. It was the day of the race and there wasn't it. There wasn't any choice. I, you know, It was the day of the race. We we're all going to suffer. As it turns out, I ran a 307 and I was really, really sad because it took everything out of me. I was gone. You know, I won. But if, there's always a funny story and always kind of a, a, a light at the at the end of a rainbow or something, which was that, of course, I actually did win the New York City Marathon, which is something nobody can ever take away from you. And as it turned out, because of the conditions, it was the biggest margin of victory in the history of the race and will continue forever to be. It was 27 minutes, my victory. Wow. And and so forever, I'm always going to be a little media footnote. This is David Hermita from the great state of Texas. Stay right there. We'll be right back on Exploring Mind and Body. Quick word from our sponsor, Puridime. Puridime is a plant-based digestive enzyme company. They specialize in gut health. 
So if you have any digestion issues, gas, bloating, indigestion, these are the guys you want to see. So if you head over to puridime.com slash drewtadia, this is my landing page. All you have to do is enter in the code word, my first name, D-R-E-W, for your 10% off. Once again, that's puredime.com slash Drew Tadia. <laughs> and interestingly enough, Drew, really interesting, I'm the last New York City woman to have ever won the New York City Marathon. So uh, about uh, two years ago, uh, Bazunish Jiba from Ethiopia, who actually lives in New York now, I was really rooting for her because I was hoping that that she could she could be the next New York woman to to win it. But alas, she didn't. That still may happen. But it's it's an interesting kind of uh, footnote to that history of the race. Was she close to winning it? Yes, she led led the race and then it got passed toward the end. She's she she finished. Uh, I don't know if it was second that year or third. But she's she's been a real contender for a couple of times, and of course her her time is like what I'm not going to say it's an hour faster than mine, but it's like 45 minutes or something. <laughs> so <laughs> Just shows you how, how times have changed. Yeah, running's changed a bit. It sounds like um, yes, so- it definitely has. I mean, I mean, for women, it's just it's been phenomenal, and I and I hope that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today because. For women, it's it's amazing, Drew. I mean, we're talking about a social revolution here and one that's happened in my own lifetime and one that I've been a part of. And it's really very, very interesting where it's going and, and what it means. Well, yeah, that's something I want to get into. I was actually had John Stanton on for an interview, and he was saying that it was the opposite. It used to be a male-dominated sport, and now it seems like there's a whole lot more women you know, coming up and and you have a large part in that. Tell our listeners your story, like it, your beginning story of the Boston Marathon and how you started to change the sport. Well, um, and give my regards to John Stanton. I, you know, I'm a pioneer uh, in in many ways, and he certainly is too. He he ha- uh, transformed the sport in many ways, not only through retail and making it accessible to people, but through his meat runs uh, at his stores. He got many, many people and women, especially, uh, out on the roads running and and helped them achieve amazing things. So uh, uh, he's um, he's a remarkable man. Okay, so what happened was. I began running at about age 12, uh, was fueled with incredible empowerment, and then from then went on to Syracuse University where I studied journalism because I wanted to be a sports writer. And while I was there, uh, I, I was continued to run. There were no sports for women. And I continued to run on my own, and I decided I would ask the men's track coach if I could run with uh, the men's team. And he said, not officially, but I could come out and train with them. And that's where I met a little volunteer coach. And I say little because he was a tiny little guy who was a university mailman who had been training with these guys for about 30 years. And this guy took took pity on me <clears throat> because I was – I was so slow and he was an ex-marathoner and and he regaled me with stories every day. He started jogging with me and regaled me with stories of the marathon and I fell in love with the idea of doing it and he didn't believe a woman could do it, even though I said other women had in the past, not with any fanfare or really even any recognition. And, and, and even Roberta Gibb had run at Boston the year before, 1966. She jumped out of the bushes and ran, but she didn't wear a number. And so 
you know, there was not a real big fuss made about her in any way, um, but she ran well. But my coach didn't believe this. He didn't believe any woman ever ran a marathon. And finally, we argued. And he said that if I showed him in practice, he'd be the first person to take me. So I think everybody knows the story that, that I proved to him in practice that I could do it. He was so impressed. He became like an evangelist, even helped me sign up for the race, saying, you have to sign up for Boston. This is a serious race. You can't just go and show up and jump in. And so I did all the paperwork and paid my two dollar entry fee, which always gets <laughs> gets a laugh. <laughs> and you know, I was a card carrying member of the AAU. Come on. You know, I had to follow the rules. And and of course, what happened in the day of the race, it was snowing and sleeting. So I was in a heavy warm up suit and I looked like one of the guys from the distance. We were all dressed alike. We were all wearing everything we owned. And two miles into the race, uh, the race director lost his temper when he saw a girl was in his race wearing bib numbers, jumped off the press truck, went after me, attacked me and grabbed me and screamed at me, get the hell out of my race and give me those numbers and tried to pull my bib numbers off. And my coach couldn't get him away from me because he was a little tiny guy. But my burly boyfriend, who did ex-All-American football player, who decided to run the Boston Marathon at the very last moment because if a girl could do it, he could do it. <laughs> <laughs> Another story, Drew, <laughs> threw a crossbody block into the official and sent the <laughs> official flying. And, and I went on to finish. Now, OK, so you're laughing. OK, we're all laughing. It's it's hilarious in the retelling. But it was terrible at the time. You know, it really was. I was a 20-year-old girl running my first big race. I knew I could do it. I was really proud of being there. I wasn't there for any political reason. I was there because I was, it was a reward from my coach. And I was running kind of my dream race. I mean, it was like the pilgrim going to Mecca, you know. But it changed my life because at, at the moment when the, my boyfriend decked the official I, I suddenly realized that no matter what happened, I had to finish this race. And the press truck was bearing down on us and, and really aggressive uh, questioning of me as I was trying to run. Um, they were desperate for me to drop out. And the more they wanted me to drop out, the more I was determined to finish. And, and I told my coach, I said, I'm finishing on my hands and my knees if I have to. And, you know, how does a 20-year-old girl make a decision like that? And I, I've often thought about it. And I think... It's because, you know, I had been running since I was 12 and I had a whole lot of empowerment and and I felt really strong about it. And it wasn't until about Heartbreak Hill time, you know, 21 miles. What are we out at there? About 34 K's or something. Right when you get kind of desperate in a race, I started getting this epiphany, as you do when you got an endorphin <laughs> overload. And and realize it wasn't the official's fault, but that women were never going to have the courage and fearlessness to 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 run and to do something like this unless they had an opportunity. So I figured somehow I'm going to finish this race. I'm going to become a better athlete, and I'm going to create those opportunities. And that's the beginning. Uh, when I finished the race, I felt better than I did at any other point in the whole effort. And I w began organizing and began lobbying, getting other women together, creating clubs, and then mostly creating events. And realizing that sponsorship was going to be the thing that was going to make the difference. Took those journalism writing skills in my back pocket to the table and started writing business proposals. Got Avon Cosmetics to believe in what I was writing. And they underwrote a program 
for one race that eventually became a global series of 400 races in 27 countries for over a million women. And then we leveraged that with the International Olympic Committee with the data and statistics that we could we could provide. And we got the women's marathon into the Olympic Games in 1984. So it was an incredible dream that was born out of adversity. And I love telling people the story because we all have tough things in our life. And, and often if you take the tough thing and you turn it around, you can make it the best thing that ever happened in your life. You can, if there's an, if there's something lacking in, in life, the, the gap, filling the gap always creates uh, interesting opportunity and maybe even business. And certainly in my case, it was, it fulfilled a dream. I want to take a moment to tell you about detoxify yourself. Now, Detoxify Yourself is really a personal story that I put together in a book for my clients and family and those interested in how I teach to live a healthy lifestyle. I had no idea it would become a bestseller in a major city, Calgary, Alberta, where I grew up. I was on Global News, and I want to share more about it with you right now. So Detoxify Yourself talks about the main food substances that I choose to avoid, which is no gluten, dairy, soy, or GMOs. So this is a 30-day meal plan that avoids all those substances. It also talks about the toxins not only we put in our body, but we put on our body as well, and the toxins we surround ourselves with like a toxic environment. So if you want more details about Detoxify Yourself, if you want to kickstart on how to avoid these toxic substances, I have all the recipes laid out for you. I have all the information. It's very simple and easy to follow. So head over to trueformlife.com for more details. And it's never over, Drew. Here I am, <laughs> practically 70 years old, and I've just now started a nonprofit called 261 Fearless, named after that bib number where we are taking the empowerment message now to women around the world globally through clubs, training, events, merchandising, but mostly because what exists today that didn't exist back in 1967 or even in the 80s is the power of the Internet. And we're beginning to communicate with these women in very far-flung, fearful places. So we're hoping to get running to those women and help them change their lives just as strongly as we did before in maybe even a bigger, better way because we're able to reach women that we never could reach before. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. I don't even know what to say. I do want to take a step back. We'll get into more of this 261 Fearless and what you're doing now. I'm interested to hear more about that actual day because that really was the turning point. That changed everything in your life. I think it changed everything in the sport. What was it like? What was your mindset when you were going to go in that race, was there any doubt? Was there fear? Did you know that there was going to be such a backlash before you signed up? No. You know, I said to my coach when we were working on the paperwork, I said, you know what? I think this might be against the rules. Why haven't other women signed up and run in the, in the race? And he said they haven't signed up because they don't believe they can run and nobody believes they can run either. And I said, but it's, maybe it's against the rules. And he said, no, let's, here's the rule book. And actually there was no rule written forbidding women in long distance running. The longest event avail available that they said women's running was cross country, mile and a half. But when it came to the marathon, it didn't have anything about gender. You know, they had women's track and field, and then they had men's track and field, and then they had the marathon. And on the entry form, there was nothing about gender. And so, I mean, I said, hey, 
look, I think we're pushing a point. And he said, no, we're not pushing a point. You know, it would say it's for men only if it's for men only. And I said, okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think I said, but I said, I'm going to be noticed when I get there. I said to my coach and he said, I know, and I'm proud of you. I mean, I thought that was really amazing because it came from a 50 year old guy, you know, here, I just turned 20 you know, he seemed ancient to me. And, and obviously, he had come through a complete change of, of thinking about what women could do. It was really amazing. So no, when we went in, for me, it was nothing political at all. Now, maybe my coach Arnie had something up his sleeve. Maybe he wanted to force the issue. But I don't know why, because he was just a modest little man. You know, I think he was just proud of me and wanted me to be treated equally. I was there just beaming with excitement because we had run 31 miles in practice. You know, we'd run 50 K. So I had no doubt that I could finish the race, but did I have doubt? Sure. Like anybody going to the start line of a marathon, you you know, anything can happen. You know, the weather can be bad. A dog can bite you, you know, it might not be your day. You might get an attack of diarrhea or something. You know, all these things are, uh, are part of what makes the marathon actually alluring because there's no certainty. And so I had those kinds of doubts, but I had no real doubts. And I, and the men around me just loved me. They were very, very welcoming. I, I often say, you know, women's running would be nowhere where it is today if it hadn't been for the generosity and the sense of equality of men. So the men at the race were welcoming? Absolutely. They oh. said, I wish my wife would run. I wish my girlfriend would run. Give me some tips for her. And, and and the reason the officials didn't see me at the start was because we were all in those baggy warm-up suits. I mean, the snow was coming down, the sleet was coming down, and they were already late, and they were trying to get everybody, you know, lined up and into the race. So I figured, okay, well, no big deal. If I had been in shorts and a T-shirt, Drew, everything might have been different. There might have been a big confrontation right at the start. So, okay, I didn't know. I thought it was just men in general that was against this. No, no. Men were wonderful. In running, they were wonderful. Now, I wouldn't say the same for gridiron football or basketball. (laughs) Those are different sports. Those are more combative team sports. This is very individualistic. I I believe that uh, runners are really uh, quite different people mentally and and male runners and female runners. It's wonderful sport. It's almost gender-free. We're out there together just trying to cover the distance and trying to do the best we as individuals can do. I, I find it unique in the whole world. I want to take a moment to tell you about Complete Truth Protein. Now, Complete Truth Protein is a whole food supplement. This means it's made with whole foods, being quinoa and hemp hearts. Many times when we look at conventional supplements, our body has a difficult time absorbing, digesting, and utilizing all the nutrients, which is why I always prefer and suggest whole foods. So if you look at Complete Truth Protein, it's it's a plant-based product. It's gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, and GMO-free. It's also a raw product. So we're looking at all kinds of ways to improve your health that's going to be easy to utilize, digest, and absorb, and more than anything, burn off as energy. The very first thing customers tell us is they can't believe how much more energy they have from adding Complete Truth Protein to their smoothies. So head over to Hempy.ca slash CTP. 
Now, if you want 15% off, all you have to do is enter an EMB in the discount code. Hempy.ca slash CTP. After this, you know, it was diff- of course, it's difficult. Like you, you went and did the- you went and you know completed the marathon. You had all this controversy going on. Was what kind of ignited you to push forward and keep doing? Is that did it have anything to do with changing the the mindset of your coach and understanding you could reach more people? Where did it come from that you want to empower women? Well, you know when I when during the race I was pretty pissed off. I got to, I mean I really was. I really felt. Uh, this this official, he was, he was out of control. He was angry, la la. And it wasn't, as I say, until I got to about mile 22 when the anger dissipated, because you can't run that far and stay mad. Okay. So the anger dissipated and I got the epiphany about creating the, the, um, the opportunities for women. But for a while I was annoyed with women because I thought, why aren't they here? Why don't they get it? You know, running is so good for you, so easy and cheap and accessible. And that's when I thought how stupid I am, you know, that these women haven't had an opportunity to run. They, you know, my parents encouraged me when I was 12 and, and I, I was lucky enough to play sports in high school. And then I met Arnie and the team I ran on with at Syracuse. Those guys were wonderful. And I and, and even in training, all the, the guys we would we would train with were, were very, very supportive of me. So I suddenly realized it's not the women's fault. They're just afraid. And I need to create the opportunities for them. So it, it that's what what sprung from that. So did it become political at that? Then it did. After the official attacked me, of course, it became political. And and I had been very, very naive and unaware of of. You know, I mean, I believed in the women's movement. I believed in equal pay, but I didn't believe in being anybody's face. And now I was doing something that was clearly in the establishment's face. And so I had to really contend with that because I did never thought of myself as a rabble rouser. But but, you know, once you start something, you got to see it through. (laughs) So it was a it was a, um, a a real growing up a real growing up time. I often say, in fact, you may have seen a film clip where, that ends on this, which is I started the Boston Marathon as a girl and I ended it as a grown woman. Did you feel like you didn't have a choice after you started all this that you had to keep going? Yeah, I do, because I, I have a, a huge sense of responsibility. You know, that's something we talked about at the beginning, you know, when all those people are lined up, you know, to meet me or something. I, I do feel responsible for them. I I feel responsible for for helping them in any way I can and so also in, in life I, I think I feel maybe overly responsible um, maybe I take it all too seriously but I, I certainly do believe in this case that that I think I had started something and I needed to see it through to its successful conclusion I I really felt actually interestingly enough it's interesting how life goes I felt when we got the women's marathon into the Olympic Games and when Joan Benoit Samuelson won that race, changed world thinking about what women could do. You know, 2.2 billion people saw it on TV. I was lucky enough to do the TV commentary for ABC for that race. I said, "Okay, that's it. We've we've come full circle. We've 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 arrived. But like an athlete who gets to a certain point in training and they think just because they won a medal, you know, that that's the best. Then they look up ahead of them and they realize how much work there really is yet to go 
how much more there is yet to achieve, how much responsibility needs to be taken for other people. So you look around and you say, just because we got the women's marathon in the Olympic Games doesn't help the women necessarily who can't go out of their houses alone, can't get a passport, can't travel, not a lot in education, can't drive a car, you know, are, are mired in poverty and um, completely in fearful situations. So, you know, can running help those women? Yeah. You know, we've seen it in Africa completely change villages. We've seen it transform societies in Southeast Asia and in Japan. I mean, this running has done it before and it'll do it again. And, and so we, we've taken on now a goal that is, uh, is really quite massive. But I'm, I'm buoyed by it because running never fails. <laughs> running, <laughs> running, is, running is transformational. What can I tell you? <laughs> and I know you're doing the, Mar- the Boston Marathon coming up here. Are you still, you're still running now? How often are you running? What's your training schedule look like? True, I'm training my brains out. Come on. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be 70 years old uh, in January. I'm running in the Boston Marathon in April. Um, I've got probably 120 women who are, are wanting to run with me and have giving us a number of charity bibs. But yeah, I'm training hard. All right, Catherine, we're going to leave you with that. That was fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for everything that you're doing in, you know, in your communities, in the world. It's, it's so inspiring to be able to sit here across, across from you and, and hear your stories. And, and, and now I'm in the position to help share them as well. So thank you for that for us. You're so welcome, Drew. I enjoyed talking to all of you. All right, that's going to wrap things up for this edition of Exploring Mind and Body. As always, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for being a part of the show. Thank you for your downloads, your shares, everything that you do to contribute to the show. We certainly wouldn't be here without you. If you're looking for a little help to get boosted in the right direction, maybe you need some professional advice yourself with a proper program, head over to trueformlife.com. We have a free 10-day fitness challenge. We send you a brand new workout each day. Workouts take 20 minutes or less. There's no equipment required. We teach you how to use your body as the machine. We're going to send you tips along the way. And it's just a great way to boost yourself in the right direction. Maybe you want to start a program. Maybe you want to get in a little better shape for the holidays or whatever season it may be. Again, that's at trueformlife.com. And we got more details going up there. All these past shows can be found on exploringmindandbody.com. That's it. That's all I got. I'm out of here. As always, I'm your host, Drew Tadia, in health and fitness for a better world. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Exploring Mind and Body with True Form Life's Drew Tadia, fitness expert. To find out more about the show, Drew Tadia, or to listen to past shows, visit exploringmindandbody.com.